three, two, one, go. Oh my God, rain it in, Emily. We're just starting. <laughs> we are five seconds in and Emily is on the floor, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I'm fine. How you doing? I am doing fine. Just great. Good, I'm glad. Earlier today, Stevie sent me a TikTok and um, I say earlier today, it was only a couple of hours ago. <laughs> it feels like it's been a lifetime. It feels like earlier today. And she sent me a TikTok. I open it. I'm eternally <laughs> grateful. And of course, it's a Julian Anderson fan cam, right? Fan cam, TikTok. I don't know what these words are anymore. <laughs> Keep going. So it's playing. And she described it as she was like, oh, that was a fun transition, right? So I go in. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, let's see it. So I go in and I'm watching it. And then I literally get fucking bodied by this TikTok. <laughs> Just <laughs> full body shot in my ribs, stomach, takes out my knees. One, two. One, two punch. <laughs> Emily's really beaten up. I am crawling to the finish line the finish line is this podcast <laughs> we'll post it on the on our thread um but eventually <laughs> 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 you really need to hold us together <laughs> i know fuck okay um but essentially it was um young jillian anderson like a 1995 interview and then she turns her head and it transitions to when she's turning her head in an interview in like 2013 i um have a very very um i don't even know what it would be sweet spot soft spot the zhuzhi version of it okay so sweet spot so okay Key don't spot? do that don't do don't oh. what was that okay jesus <laughs> i have a g-spot for videos of young jillian young scully that transition to her as a milf it's the classic baby to milf transition <laughs> One, two, punch. <laughs> you know, the classic baby to MILF. You know, yeah, the like out of straight out of the womb. <laughs> the classic, the world-renowned baby to MILF, you know. There's a, there is an Oscar category for that, I think, <laughs> as well. So it is technically world-renowned. Okay, so... <laughs> oh, funny. Anyways, and uh, our our friend, our dear friend and professional editor, River Scully on Instagram, she did one a couple of weeks ago or a mm. week again. Oh, yeah, we it should post like that. It's been a lifetime. Um, that sent me into a similar incapacitated state. It's like I feel really bad, like actually guilty after I send these to Emily because she's truly incapacitated. And I'm like, Just, I'm sorry. I, d I didn't even realize. Like, honestly, I should have known with this one because it was the, you know, the baby to MILF. But I, like, <laughs> wasn't thinking about it. I, I literally was just sitting on my couch. And I was like, oh, that was a fun transition. And, I, like, you were busy. So I was like, oh, just ignore me. But this is a fun transition. And I wish that I could explain to you what goes through my body. It's like there's something. There's something. Uh, uh, I've said this before. <laughs> to TV, but I've said this before to you. There's just something about a MILF, you know what I mean? There just is. And yeah. like, was Jillian a MILF in the first clip too? Yes. Yes, but like she was a baby MILF. 
it hits different. She was like baby Jillian when she was like a MILF, but only with like one child is like, you go to her, you're like, I don't feel well. And she's like, and she's like, what are your symptoms? And she, and you're like, well, I'm, I have chills and yeah, I have chills and she's like, oh my gosh, okay, let me get you some soup. I'll warm up some soup for you and I'll get you a blanket and we can cuddle, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's MILF Jillian, but like only after one baby, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> MILF Jillian in the second version of that clip, 2013, is like, you go up to her and you're like, I don't feel well. I have the ch- I'm cold. I'm so cold. <laughs> Uh-huh. I have chills. And her response to that is I know how to I know how to warm you up. Okay. And um that's about it. <laughs> that's about it. Everyone, everybody got that? <laughs> everybody, thank you for <laughs> Because that truly is the transition, right? Like yeah. I'm trying to explain this to you in as best a way that I can from my little wormy gay brain. Oh, I love your stupid little wormy brain. No. And it's just that like, it goes from wanting to cuddle to wanting her Mm. to just, this is the same for Scully. Mm -hmm. The transition, that transition. If you ever want to get any information out of me, just show me. (laughs) That's actually strain of of transition. Maybe you shouldn't say that because that's really accurate. Like you really will. I will tell I will tell you anything. I will do anything. <laughs> Literally. There's, there's no I no. Oh no. I can't either it's no. Oh no. Oh no. Careful. I can't control anything that happens when I've seen that transition. <laughs> and that's okay. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it or should I look into that? Oh. Do you need to? Um, depends how bad it gets. Like if it really starts to inhibit life, maybe. But depends how bad it is. Um, for now, it's okay. On that note, do you want to answer a question? <laughs> <laughs> yep, let's do it. All right. So basically, we've gotten a couple of questions um, asking if we would have a little chat about um, some allegations that have been floating around Twitter about Jillian Anderson being a turf. Trans exclusionary radical feminism. Yes. And so an example of like a, of some well-known terms <laughs> um, are fucking JK, JK Rowling, Rowling or it doesn't fucking matter. Um, and Rose McGowan off the top of my head. Yep. Um, who have been intentionally very trans exclusionary in their feminism um, throughout their careers and lives. The reason this conversation is coming up is because there was a photo that Jillian posted in 2016, um, and she makes a reference to the character Old Greg in her um, tweet. In yeah, in the tweet in the in the caption. So her caption made reference to a character called Old Greg, um, and she references a genital mix-up in the comments or in the in the caption. Um, 
and th- that's in reference to the character because um, old Greg is a character from a TV show called The Mighty Boosh, which aired from 2004 to 2007. It was written by Noel Fielding and Julian Barrett. And a description of the character on fucking dictionary.com says that he is a merman known for his blinding mangina and a love for Bailey's. Um, and so like the whole shtick is entirely transphobic being that most of the jokes um, around old Greg revolve around the debate over his anatomy. And that's kind of like what the show plays off of. And so her caption references that, which is obviously transphobic. Obviously. And so I think like, we just want to say a little disclaimer that um, we're not in a place to like assess or speak Mm -hmm. on the extent of like how damaging um, this quote unquote joke was and jokes like this are um obviously because we're two cisgendered women yes um but i think like with the um with the requests to talk about this that we've gotten the reality is is that like if one trans person found this harmful and damaging then like it was harmful and damaging yeah um and just to like establish a foundation um the joke was wrong mm-hmm. period i think um oftentimes like the rush of call out culture and cancel culture um provides people with like a major adrenaline boost that they get through manufacturing a kind of intense moral superiority and that's one that overshadows the actual conversation that needs to be had so sometimes jokes that this doesn't excuse it sometimes jokes that come from a lack of education or a generational gap which will mean lack of education rather than intentional exclusion um are lumped in with the latter um and even if it's unintentional it can still have really damaging effects which is why it's so important to educate yourself um and that's definitely a big generational issue when it comes to the disparity of education on these topics yeah i think that that's i think that that's fair and like i think the thing too is like again no matter what we're saying nothing detracts from the fact that what she said was wrong right and the tweet was wrong (laughs) and that's not going to change regardless of what we say after no i think and i think it's just the conversations that we've seen online um unfolding provoke a um a different conversation about cancel culture and call out culture and those things i was gonna say yeah like the not only does this spark a discussion within itself of transphobia and when and any kind of phobia like any kind of homophobia misogyny transphobia like any of that whenever that's painted as a joke and how that um can perpetuate damage just as much as blatant forms of transphobia mm-hmm. um i think that like within that there's that conversation and then there's the conversation of um which is what one person brought up in our dm about mm-hmm. this which was like um the source of who gets canceled and um who gets called out on their behavior mm-hmm. um and i don't know if that makes sense but yeah, basically well, I mean- just like within this conversation there's several other conversations that that are brought up because of it yeah and what the person that emily was talking about in her dms brought up was the sort of different standard um we hold women and men to when it comes to call out culture and these types of issues um and it 
just like people are very willing to jump and quote on, to jump on and quote unquote cancel people to feel like they're doing something and being good and being proactive, but aren't willing to address the root source of the problem, which um, in this case is the man who created this character and storyline to begin with. So that doesn't make what Julian said correct because it was very wrong. Um, but it's that being ignored that creates a bigger issue and, and just and doesn't actually solve any of the problems. Right. Well, I feel like we've talked about this concept a little bit before in um, relation to the X-Files being a very problematic show. Well, and I think like what you can do to be trans inclusionary yourself is to not actively uplift people who are actively trans exclusionary. Like we talked about how the X-Files is an old show. It's not currently on TV. Like we're not platforming it. And by analyzing and critiquing it, you shine a light on what um, on the harm that it did do, which I think can be a process in healing some of the harm that it did do, at least in the realms of yeah. feminism that we can speak to. Um, and I think too, like, I think maybe cause the, the issue that I was having was like going back and forth with like, if this is an, if this is harmful enough in your eyes, then it is harmful enough period. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, if that were the way that everyone thought, then like there wouldn't be the movement needed to, actively and effectively criticize things and criticize people Mm -hmm. um where it's warranted does that make sense and so i think like at the end of the day maybe it just comes down to the same thing like not trying to take a step down from this like moral superiority and being willing to call out your people that people that you admire right because um i feel like and we talked about this when we were talking about um the the interviews that were happening around um the crown and margaret thatcher when that show was first coming out but it's like if you find yourself getting defensive at the notion of critiquing jillian anderson or any of your favorite celebrities you should reflect one about the pedestal you're putting celebrities on and two, that remember that if a, if a trans person, if a person of color, or if um, a queer person says that a joke is damaging, then it was damaging. And there's no argument to be had. And you need to reevaluate your priorities between idealizing a celebrity you don't know and, value, and valuing the well-being of marginalized communities. I think that's perfectly said. Um, and so like what somebody brought up in our DMs was just the way that um, people are very quick to call her a turf and then have that be the end of the conversation rather yeah. than um also highlighting the fucking noel noel or whatever fielding yeah um who wrote the character and portrayed it um exactly. and that show because well we, also noel fielding and julian barrett still fully have careers and film careers and nobody's talking about the damage that their show caused instead they talk about that you know like it's almost like that, but, and it's not that it's not warranted yes. that people are calling out Jillian, but it like it begs the question of like where where was this like where was this um foundation of transphobia exactly like perpetuate like where where was this perpetuation where did this perpetuation originate from like I think it begs the question of if is it your goal to rectify the transphobia and to educate where people need to be educated? Or is it simply your goal to call somebody out to get the sense of moral superiority that you're doing something? Because that is step yep. one, but that's not where the work stops. Again, that just goes back to like holding the people that you admire accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, educating yourself. 
educating yourself and making sure that you are um that your issue is is through calling this person out that your your main issue and the issue that you'd like to rectify is the source of the damaging stereotype or the damaging whatever ism is happening like Mm -hmm. making sure that that is what you are committed to dismantling and rectifying and fixing yes and it wasn't just to like have another one bite the dust you know what i mean yeah however this is so nuanced because i really do feel like i was thinking about like the me too movement with all of this it was Mm -hmm. like in that case like taking down Harvey Weinstein was the most like was an important facet of that. Mm-hmm. And the Me Too movement very much so did address the root cause, which was normalization of sexual harassment and sexual assault in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And then that trans transformed somewhat to just in every field. Mm-hmm. So maybe it has to be both. I don't know. No. Because because then if someone is perpetuating some form of abuse so severely, I think then they need to be dismantled just as much as the as the abuse. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I agree. What I was gonna say, what I'm struggling yeah. with is that um is like where what's the where's the balance that needs to be found between saying you're perpetuating these harmful things. I don't want to support you as um, an artist or a person anymore because of these things that you're saying and saying, Hey, this is transphobic. Um, here's why when it, like, what's the, mm. like, what's the balance between educating and condemning? Well, I think that that comes ultimately down to privilege. Like you and I talked about how we were very, very hesitant to talk about this um, when it was brought to us because That's a, yeah, we didn't want to bring attention to it and we didn't want to make it. And I think we were very much caught up in the very um, like visceral response that we were seeing on Twitter of mm-hmm. people just actively calling her a turf immediately um, and saying like, that's not something we want to perpetuate. Like we want to have a, di- we want to have a discussion about this mm-hmm. Um and then ultimately we decided like it's this is a very safe space for two cisgendered women to talk about this and even in light even if in the case of people having an issue with this discussion to the point where they get defensive or they are personally offended by Jillian Anderson being um called these things and you know the conversation surrounding that that it's much better that criticism and that possible very harsh um, response from people coming to us as two cisgendered women Mm -hmm. rather than like putting this on the backs of trans people. Exactly. Um, And so I think that ultimately comes down to the privilege and it's the same, you know, and then, and then from there, it's what, it's, it's what activism you are capable of doing. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause I don't think that condemning and educating um, are, um, I don't think that you, you, you contribute to the activism in both way, in both yeah. avenues mm-hmm. in, in taking both avenues. So, exactly. um, I think it's privilege and then it's what you are capable of. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And in your activism, and it's like, it, it should not be on people to defend their own identity. 
it's like people like no. when George Floyd died, it, like the conversation was brought up about how it's um, it's like racism is a white people's issue. Like, yep. and it's the same yeah. thing with transphobia. Transphobia is a cis person's issue. Um, yeah. Homophobia is a straight person's issue. It's like the the ones perpetuating the abuse are the ones that need to work on rectifying the problem. However, it's important not to overshadow the voices of the people that are being um, abused and damaged. Um, exactly. And so we're talking about it now because we had multiple people ask us to, and also because it's like we can shine a light on this without feeling like we're defending our own identity. And like you said, if anybody is to get mad, it's coming at us. It's not going to be... Um, like more abuse yeah, exactly <laughs> onto people who deal with it every day yeah however if you are a trans person listening and you do have thoughts on this that you want us to either discuss on here or you'd like to discuss with us um our dms are open our curious cat is open um if there's things that you feel like need to be said we can uplift that absolutely i think it's important for us to have these difficult conversations in educating people because i think that that's the that's like the brunt of the activism. Mm -hmm. But then when it comes to voices that exist and voices that need to be heard, it's our equally our responsibility to lift those up and place those in front of our own. Mm -hmm. Exactly. This is a really nuanced conversation about cancel culture because it's like, does cancel culture even um, exist? Exist because um, the men who are the root of the majority of these problems still fully have careers. I know. That's the issue. It's like, do you attack the root of the problem, which is obviously transphobia within a society, an exclusion of that representation of trans bodies mm -hmm. in that society? And is it possible to dismantle that without first condemning those who perpetuate it? Like, do you, like is it possible to even dismantle the transphobia or any abuse or any oppression without first completely ridding it, uh, ridding it from each, like uh, ridding it of individual, <laughs> ridding the individuals who perpetuate that in that society. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if we continue to uplift, like I'm just thinking about like Louis C.K. or someone. Yeah. Like if we continue, because he like has his entire career back and maybe is even doing better than he was before. He was um he was uh accused of sexual assault. It's like accused of sexual assault, and then also all of his jokes are completely at the expense of marginalized people. Like are that they? yeah. Like big time. Like his like one, he like fucking sexual assault, but then two, it's like his literal the content of his career is is based at marginalized people's expense. Like that's what it's hinging on. Right. So it's like, it's so nuanced because it's like, if people continue to support that, then other people think that it's okay to act in a similar way. Mm -hmm. And like the only reason, obviously, like structurally and, and legislatively abuses exist because of those, you know, at the root cause of it. Mm -hmm. But like on a micro level, like that's, all of these things are perpetuated and are able to be maintained over so many generations because of the people perpetuating them mm. and establishing them as acceptable forms of behavior and acceptable forms of thought. This whole Dr. Seuss thing is happening as well right now where mm. people are suggesting that we don't 
include a Dr. Seuss book in um, children's educational curriculum because it's very, very racist and it portrays stereotypes yeah. of many ethnicities and many races and when across you're literally the world. Teaching that, like you have to rid that stuff That's from the curriculum the if you're going to rid those stereotypes because those preconceptions are are um what's the word like they're um they're like bred in like they they they're Life rooted yeah, yeah literally like they start at that young of age and then that's how they grow and are continually perpetuated you have to completely rid those things at the root which is yeah. in what children are learning and then like on top of that i guess would be like legislative just actual literal oppressions that are yes in law but i think like in terms of this discussion, it's like, it's very, very important to call people out even, even, and call people in, even when they're people that you admire. Um, I think bo we both have such a strong aversion to that, that unwillingness to mm -hmm. hold the people that you admire accountable. And I know, um, that even with Jillian, just a you know relative example is when her masks came out with her lips mm -hmm. on them, and people were saying that the blue and the black. I don't actually know. Anyways, black, the dark, the dark blue one, the narc, dark, dark, <laughs> narc, <laughs> the dark navy blue one, um, uh, like an amalgamation of blackface, and people called her out on it. And there were some people who were saying, this is ridiculous. Like she would never do, you don't know. Yeah. You don't know what she would and wouldn't do. And by calling that shit out, the, um, the mask design got adjusted to a lighter color. Um, and I think like it was just, it was very, very um, shocking to see people saying, um, well, she says that she listens to podcasts run by black men and women. What more do you want her to say? Like, what? She said that she's commit. like, if she could change one thing in the world, it would be racism. What more do you want her to say? It's like, it. people can be anti-racist and still make mistakes. People can, can be, people's feminism can be inclusive and intersectional and they can still make mistakes. Mm -hmm. It's important to call them out. And depending on how that person responds to being called out, I think will tell you all that you need to know. See JK Rowling. Oh, big time. Oh my God. I think people who, who aren't intentionally like, so just because we're using transphobia as an example, like people who aren't intentionally transphobic will at, will internalize the mistake that they've made and work to um, rectify that. People who are intentionally transphobic will double down when they're called out, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Or like remain as vague as possible. Mm -hmm. I think if the goal is, again, to attack the root cause of transphobia, then calling people out and wanting them to change, wanting them to um, become better educated is the goal. Yes. Period. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that's it. And so what I was going to say is like, because you can't just shoot her a text and be like, babe, that was inappropriate. Um, what you can do with celebrities is like, you, you need to make conscious decisions about who you're uplifting, who you're supporting. Um, and that's going to be a personal decision. Um, and you need to educate yourself, make sure you're not perpetuating those things. Um, and really uh, reflect and take a look at the 
the pedestals and the and the the expectations that you're placing on people that you don't know. Right. Should we get into the episode? Let's get into the episode. Okay. So this is dot com. It is episode nineteen, season two. Woo! And Emily looked um, it up. I look. No, I didn't. I knew that from the top of my head. <laughs> I've always known. <laughs> I've always known that. Dot com is nineteen. <laughs> We open on the Norwegian Sea, 65 <laughs> degrees latitude, 8 degrees longitude. <laughs> Thank you. To be exact. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's funny how for some episodes we're like, yeah, and then they'd like talk for a minute. And then, we, <laughs> and then sometimes we're like 67 degrees longitude. <laughs> longitude is uh, vertical. Latitude is horizontal. Mm, thank you. You're welcome. Because long. I mean, they're both oh. long, but like yeah, long, but long like up and down. Long like like a long tall Sally. No, like a like oh yeah, or that or yeah. a, or a long dick. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So whatever metaphor helps you. <laughs> um. So we zoom in on a boat. Uh, so one man is attempting to board a life raft and he seems to be trying to convince another, the other captain to abandon the ship. <laughs> he says, there's no time. They'll come for us. And that he doesn't want to end up like the others. Very vague. I just think it's funny how men have more respect for a ship than they do for literal human women. <laughs> he said the same thing. You, and also, really? well, sort of like sort of along the same thing. But then the captain draws a gun on the other captain who wants to leave, but then, like, he just fucking leaves anyways. He's like, shoot um, me if you have to. And then he just, like, looks at him and goes down really, <laughs> ca- like, really slowly. Like, no sense of urgency. He's like, la, la, la. <laughs> so, yeah. So the one captain who, like, drew the the gun is giving off, like, very, like, I will go down with this ship vibes. I will go which is, down like, with this ship. And that's a bizarre put. concept. It is. Like, the attachment men have to pride and honor over, like, saving your own life. I think I wrote that later. I was like, what is... Right? Yeah. Like, it's self-sacrificial, but, like, in a way that isn't necessary. That isn't... It's like... Okay. It, it just... Here, here, at least. It's like... Right? Like, in, wh- this, in this instance. It's like, why would you sacrifice your life for a ship? Um... But, like, not for things that really matter. You know what I mean? Well, and, like, the thing is, is, like, I will say that in this instance, it seems very unnecessary. But, like, in Titanic, this small movie that came out around this time. Oh, I um, it. Yeah. In that case, the captain goes down with the ship because, I mean, he, like, systematically failed every single person on board. So, oh, so he felt like it was his fault? Yeah. So oh, he... Sad. Yeah, so he like and th- so in that case like yeah, it would have been really really um cowardly if he had gotten on the lifeboat which he absolutely could have. Mm-hmm. Um and the person, the man actually who designed the ship um ended up getting on a life raft. Wow. And surviving while all of these people died, died because of his flaw in d- in design. Jesus. So, like, in that case, I understand. But, like, in this case, it doesn't really seem like it's necessary. Yeah. Like, clearly, they're all able to get off the ship and survive from whatever's coming. 
and yep, weird this captain is like i'm not leaving my ship even if that means i die which is just overall weird placement of energy like just for what i think is the question yeah. so we cut to 18 hours later we come up on another small canadian fishing vessel the lizette <laughs> That's with pretty. two Irish, that's a very pretty name, with two Irish men on it, and they see a figure on their radar that seems to be just floating mm-hmm. in the middle of the sea. So they go upstairs to attack. <laughs> upstairs? <laughs> There's this episode of Veep where they're on a boat, and oh, yes. one of the characters keeps saying, we have to go downstairs. <laughs> and, the other, and Gary's like, it's called Below Deck! Every time. <laughs> Anyways, so they go upstairs to the deck and they throw what turns out to be a lifeboat, a line, one of the lifeboats familiar. And when they pull them in, ah, they're all old people. <laughs> I wrote that's how problematic white people age. <laughs> there will be many jokes about the uh, inconsistencies in Jillian Anderson's aging, but the uncanny <laughs> resemblance in Tina's <laughs> God. I so wrote that. that if that like will a... upset you, maybe click on that one. <laughs> it's not. He obviously doesn't look as bad as he does at the end. It's just like the beginning stages. It's funny. Yeah. There's, it it's kind of does look like him now. A little it, bit. A little. It really doesn't look like her now. In the beginning, we mean. I was just going to say, it's just funny because these Canadian um, sailors like, ro- like pull them in. And then before the camera shows them... I mean, their faces are just of abject horror. Like, they've never seen anything so terrifying in their life. And then the camera pans to the life, but it's just all these old people. <laughs> I mean, they do look rough. They do. But it was just funny. Yeah. The opening credits roll, and we're at Bethesda Naval Hospital in Bethesda, Maryland. Mm-hmm. Right off the bat, I'm thinking if Scully is coming anywhere near this case, good thing they're all like way too old for her. Yeah. Otherwise, this Navy brat would have left with one of them. 100%. Which like as she should have. Yeah. Oh my God. Imagine. I was imagining it the whole time. One of the Navy guys is just like totally wooing her in the hospital bed and Mulder's like, <coughs> um, there's aliens Literally. waiting for us, Scully. She's like, no, nah, I'm going to go get railed. He's like, mm, I don't think so. That would be like the ultimate Ouroboros for her daddy issues. <gasps> Full circle. Full circle. Life's a circle. All Mulder can contribute to the circle metaphor is like one time he said to Scully, um, a circle is round and has no end. That's how long I want to be your friend. And oh. she was like, ew. That's how long I want to be your friend. Or even better, a circle is round and has no end. That's how long I want to give you head. That's a good one. That's a better one. She'd probably like that. Right on time, here comes our girl. She comes out of the elevator and Mulder tells her very urgently that the USS Ardent has been missing in the North Atlantic for the past 42 hours. I feel like there's a blooper here. I'll look. I feel like there is too. Um, I love when he leans in and whispers and grabs her shoulder. Yep. It's mm-hmm, for her too. Mm-hmm. So it was looking like a ship and its entire crew just vanished. Mulder says, until last night when a Canadian trawler picked up 18 survivors and only one is still alive in the ice, in ICU. 
Scully looks looks <laughs> Scully looks absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. And there's this like subtle radiance to her face that like even her eyeballs glow. It's really it's quite remarkable. I paused <laughs> moment for a very long time. So they walk through the doors into the ICU and she is so close to him. He's literally on top of her as they walk through the doors. And it looks like she's dragging him into her apartment to rip his clothes off. Oh my god, it does. Jesus Christ. So the lieutenant that's being held there is being guarded by a security officer. And Mulder wasn't being let in. So he got Scully a clearance code because of her medical background. Mm -hmm. Um, So she goes to take a look at him. And Mulder tells her to meet him back at their office. Is that what he says? After she... He says my office, but we're saying there. Oh my god! Um, after she's finished, did he say my office? Yeah. So Scully goes to see Lieutenant Harper, and she's shocked to see he's old as fuck, despite the fact that his records show that he's only twenty-eight years old. The physician taking care of this man comes in hot. And is very annoyed that Scully is asking questions about her patient and her potential missteps in treating him. She kind of hot asks. It was a little. The tension was a little. There was something. There was something going on there. I'm a big fan of watching powerful women be powerful. Yep. And I and I wrote the actress who played the doctor really ate that up. Like I would have listened to her. I would have been like, "Yes, ma'am, I am out of here." One hundred percent. So basically, um, she asks Scully for her credentials, and then she says that the code that she has is invalid. Thank you, Mulder. Yeah, she's like, fucking Mulder. Didn't even actually get me a clearance code. But instead of freaking out or, like, ratting out her man, she says, I am a medical doctor, and I would like to see the autopsy reports on the remaining victims. Like, the brave little something. like the brave little something anyway so unfortunately her bravery doesn't work and she has to leave she goes back to the fbi and just thinking just thinking about her thought process on her way back because maryland to dc is you know it's not right around the corner (laughs) so she's like just I just imagine her thinking like, oh, I can't wait to tell Mulder, but I need to see his face when I tell him. She's like invisible man level excited. Like just I can I just see her in the car. I wrote yes. her outfit here was so it was super cute and like the 1940s hair is starting to come in and I'm just such a fan. It's just all smiles all around all the time. Mulder basically isn't surprised when Scully tells him that Harper looked about 90, even though his record shows he's 28, and he shows her a map with a trajectory of where he thinks this ship went through and why he's not surprised. Mm-hmm. I got too distracted by Jillian's profile on the scene and was so preoccupied by the capital P profile sh- shot, <laughs> that capital P, mm-hmm. that I'm anticipating that I know is coming. Um, oh, you knew it was coming? It came yes. out of... I for, I didn't realize that it was in this episode. And um, <sighs> I wrote, oh shit, that profile shot. And then I put, every time I see her nose, I worry about you. <laughs> I, <laughs> I said the amount of times I say, oh no, Emily, out loud in my room is kind of ridiculous. Your worry was very well placed because 
I can't tell you anything that Mulder said, but essentially men have gone missing in the 65th parallel and experienced a wrinkle in time. I am on my knees for Dana Catherine Scully. Mulder starts rambling on and on and on about the Philadelphia Project and how men were actually sent to Roswell, New Mexico, and that men were taken and the minutes later they were found hundreds of miles from where they had originated, suggesting that somehow alien technology is involved here, to which Scully, of course, says, Mulder, you're crazy. That defies all laws of physics and science. To which Mulder says, these experiments may have been trying to manipulate wormholes on Earth. So basically, wormholes are portals where matter interfaces with time at a relatively decelerated or accelerated rate. Mulder thinks that the military never ended this project that caused these, and this is potentially what happened to Lieutenant Harper and the rest of his men. Mm-hmm. Yada, yada, yada. Mulder says, I'm leaving for Norway. I thought it was weird that he booked without, because normally he books her one without asking her. But this one, he was like, oh, yeah, I booked one. And then she has to be like, no, I want to go with you, which I'm like, not Maybe. entirely not a fan of because I really like seeing her intrigued and driven. And I like the connection that she feels to this case because of her father. Like, I like all of those elements. Maybe he did buy her a ticket, but like he just said, I'm going. And he just wanted to hear her say that she wanted to come with. She, he just wanted to hear her say, I want to come. I breeze through that line without even recognizing the, the innuendo. So, all right. <laughs> so, Scully says, I'm going with you. And it's at this moment that I lose all my fucking marbles at her nose. That's all I can say. Okay. I, I go on. But this got me thinking of one little thought, which was our friend Ani's fic that she wrote about them in airports and in airplanes oh, yeah because just thinking about them on a flight to norway made me think of that oh, we should put that and that fic in the thread it's so it's so good. good our friend ani wrote like a it's like a what would that be snippets. called yeah there's snippets of just them in the airport and like the at very yeah and like as as their relationship grows and like it starts with like Mulder always making them late and then how that it's so good and it's a it's It's very short and sweet and it just makes you feel like you're wrapped in a blanket anyways there's a profile shot of Jillian Anderson that I actually have hanging up on my wall fun funnily enough (laughs) if you can believe it this profile shot is what defies all laws of physics and science Miss Scully okay (laughs) My favorite part of her nose, I just need to just, just let me. No, you have the face. I promise I'll never, I will never talk about her nose ever again after this moment. Don't even promise. That's a lie. Why would you inhibit yourself? This is a safe nose space. Nose corner, go. Okay. My favorite part of her nose, aside from everything, is that it like curves, right? Mm -hmm. And then it dips and then it flips up again, right at the tip. Okay. (laughs) And this is all to say. This might be a good time to tell you that I've seriously considered getting her nose tattooed on my body. End of sentence. And that's about it. So there's that. It's a rad tattoo. Just the silhouette of I, it. Right? I think it, yeah. Just like very fine lines. People tattooed like her and David's yeah. faces on their ass cheeks. You can get the silhouette of her nose on your body. I feel like that would make me very happy. That would make you happy and you should do it. How cool. I can't explain how this shot makes me feel, but for some reason... The best way I can describe it is just every emotion on the spectrum. Like, name a, name an emotion. I'm feeling mm-hmm. it. 
elicited from this shot. I'm also a big fan of the freckle on her cheek and her lips look like a heart from the side. Her bouffant hair. So good. Her sharp jawline. How is a girl not supposed to fall to her knees? Anyways, this is my favorite shot of the entire show, I think. It's so beautiful. Anyway, (laughs) content-wise, I really love this scene as well. Um, Maybe it's because those two things compound each other, the physical and the contextual. Mm -hmm. But I love it because it really radiates what you were talking about earlier, which is like this enthusiasm and interest and passion from Scully Mm -hmm. that I love to see her initiate. And I like it because she isn't just interested because she's following him and she happens to be intrigued by the case and devoted to the victim's justice. Mm -hmm. But in this case, she's actively seeking out being involved because she wants answers for herself in addition to the victims. And I just think that that's very cute and very sexy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And it's just like, I'm a big fan when any um, subtext is implied because I find it really hard to watch when like, especially on episodes where like major things happen the episode before and then the next episode is a monster of the week. Like I have a really hard time reconciling that in my brain. So I'm a big fan of when like subtext is applied because it makes things fully fleshed out and three-dimensional and um, that just makes things better. Um, So they arrive in Norway and Scully talks about her Navy Captain Mm -hmm. Daddy because of course she does. Yeah. And yeah, (laughs) and she says that she sees fear in these men's eyes. No one is giving them any information because none of them speak English uh, until one man who's an American, Henry, tells them that he's the only one who will take them where they want to go and that all the others are afraid of the sea because of what he says are legends that they've heard about what happens there. But if if he wasn't a total prick... I think he's really hot. I fully was like, before he became a dick, I was like, Scully 100% wants to. Oh my God. He's really like, rail yeah, he's man. very ragged and like, oh my God. <laughs> this man is everything that Scully's father was except for being her and father. Like, and that's all that she requires <laughs> in a man. Oy. 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 <laughs> <laughs> that. The truth though. It's just a little too close to home for me. So the three of them get on. (laughs) That and your laugh sound nothing alike. So I don't even know what you're talking about. Your laugh is my favorite thing ever. Shut up. (laughs) Fuck me, I guess. Fuck me, then shut up. Okay. You see how much I love you? It's that you being mean to yourself where I say, shut up. I just let you torture me. With with scenarios about Scully, and I never tell you to shut That's up. That's true. Aww. So the three of them get on the ship and they start traveling. Mulder's, Mulder's puking his guts out because he's seasick, and he still finds the energy to flirt with Scully in the exact way that well, she likes. Okay. Like her face when he says, "You're lucky you've inherited your father's legs." Like, what's so funny, ma'am? Why are you flirting so hard? What? Time out. Time out. When he says you're lucky um, you inherited your dad's legs, her face at first is like, oh my God, I can't. Oh my God, he's looking at my legs. Like, what do you, oh my God, he's noticed my legs. But then she's like, wait, my dad's legs. She was like, what? And then he says the punchline and, she, and she's like, <sighs> her face, she's literally like, 
She might as she literally might as well. I heard a gush out loud. <laughs> the gush heard round the <laughs> That moment. <laughs> What's funny is that I wish I could keep how long we laugh at ourselves in, but I always cut it so it doesn't ever, we never really laugh at ourselves on it because it just takes up time, but we laugh for a really long time. Like, she's in love with him, yes, but, like, the irony of her probably in college wanting to marry, like, this outdoor travel savant who is capable of spending his free time Mm. on the water in, like, his expensive boat because he's a successful doctor to her literally falling head over heels in love with a man who can't even be in a boat without throwing up and making her laugh is just – the irony of that is – that's Olden. incredible. Wow, I love that. Um, she just clearly feels so superior because she can handle being on a boat and he can't, like as she should. Scully Scully shoots Mulder just take so that she can see Oops. him struggling and weak and vulnerable and take care of him as subsequent subsequent. I'd love to shoot a man just to fix him, and that's but that's on my daddy issues. So while Mulder and Scully are shamelessly flirting in the back. Something starts messing with the radar and the navigation, and suddenly there's a boat right in front of them, and it's the USS Ardent. So I'm they get on the so boat. Petrified of open water, like that is one of my biggest fears. So all of this with like them being stranded in the middle of nothing, with like fog, and then taking on water, it's a no for me, dog. Yeah, have you ever seen Titanic? Yes. How did that make you feel? Very anxious. It's not even like the. It's it's the bit of being in the open water, like being like your body. In, yeah. 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 Like I'm not No, I mean like watching that movie that definitely forced me to confront like that fear that like what is meant to hold you afloat just like s- disappearing from underneath you. Yeah. That really freaked me well, out. Well, I knew I would never go on a cruise because when I was like 9 years old, I was really really fascinated with um sharks like i was like hyper fixated on them and i like read every book that i could possibly find about sharks so much so that i successfully terrified myself from going into any body of water even lakes every hot girl had a intense hyper fixation with sharks at some point in her life oh i love that that makes me feel better because i was a weirdo and here's the thing i love sharks i went on a big activist kick on sharks when i was a kid because i was like they're taken and they just take their fins and they don't use the rest of their bodies and they turn it into soup and it's wrong i was like sharks don't like the taste of human flesh we're just in their environment like i was very like it's true i was very anti the discrimination against sharks that was my first cause I love that. I think that's so noble and beautiful. So they get on board and it's completely corroded despite only launching in 1991, according to a plaque that's on the ship, which uh, as soon as Mulder and Scully walk away from looking at it, it immediately corrodes right back over from where they scraped. Sometimes that's how I feel like I'm aging. (laughs) Yeah, same. So Scully and Mulder go to look at the crew quarters where Scully is absolutely petrified to find bodies that look mummified apart from a residue that when scully goes to collect some the dude hands hand just falls off and she looks very annoyed (laughs) her face when she sees all of it oh my god jillian's eyes have never been wider holy shit i know so as Mulder and Scully are hello, as Mulder and Scully are in the crew quarters, they hear an engine roar and they realize someone is stealing Henry's ship. 
So, uh-oh, Skedio, now they're stuck. Um, the radio isn't working, and the engine is way too corroded to even try to move. Mm-hmm. So, Mulder tells Henry what's actually happening, that time may be speeding up where this boat is stuck. Then they hear the Norwegian dude, Halverson, scream, who was the other guy who was on Henry's mm-hmm. boat, um, scream and they go check it out they find him his skull's been fractured and when they follow the noise they find lieutenant barkley who was the dude from the beginning who was the commanding officer on the ship he's hiding in a freezer clutching an empty bottle of jack daniels (laughs) so they talk to barkley and he says that the last of his log documents that everything seemed to stop and time got lost he says he's 35 years old, and yet he too, along with um, Lieutenant Harper back from earlier, he looks like he's about 90. Mm-hmm. Mulder pulls Scully aside, and they agree that they don't think that he had the physical strength to kill um, the Norwegian dude, meaning there's somebody else on board. Mm-hmm. Um, that moment when he yells, like, you're not buying this crap, are you, to Scully? My favorite trope maybe like ever is when somebody says something like that to scully and they're like you don't believe this guy do you and then something happens immediately after so she doesn't have to answer because every time the look that flashes across her face screams please don't make me choose between my my brain and my vagina right now she's like i she's like i know he sounds crazy but he also makes me feel crazy so (laughs) okay so as henry is putting norwegian man's body overboard because he died we meet other person on board um, when he tries to knock out Henry until Mulder stops him. Henry knows the man. His name is Olofsson, right? Is that how they say it? Olofsson? Um, because he's a criminal. He supplies whales to the Japanese black market. Of course, Henry wants to kill him, but Mulder says no because they need him because he appearing, uh, hello? He seemingly hasn't aged somehow. When they get back to Scully, she informs them that Barkley died and he's rapidly decaying, like he's turning into a pillar of salt almost. Mm -hmm. She says that it's some type of crystalline and beyond that, she's unsure. They decide to sleep in shifts. Mulder keeps watch in case Olofsson's not alone. But then he wakes up and he goes to wake up Scully and they're old they're okay they're old but it's like if we just ignore that and just like pay attention to the beginning point it's like him waking her up and her going oh, i just fell i said this him being like do you want a few more minutes oh my god i said the same it's thing it's so domestic yeah. of them it's so domestic and so cute so cute and then they're and old. like how can you hear that how can you not hear that and not imagine them waking up together and Mulder, like, having to wake her up but wanting to let her sleep, but her knowing she has to get up. It's like, this is the scenario I can see, like, if they were allowed to actually raise William. Oh, like, absolutely. In, uh, we can have it in this one and moment. And her little, but... her little, <clears throat> her clearing her throat. At all of it. Can we crushes. post this clip, like, uh, before they look yeah. at each other and just do, like, the pee? Yeah. Like... They didn't do any. They didn't do Jillian any justice with any semblance of accuracy for how she would age. No. That's all I have to say. Well, there's been a viral tweet about that. So they talk, Mulder and Scully. 
are talking and Mulder thinks it's a time warp, but overall they're very confused as to why this is happening. They're confused as to like one, why this is happening two why if it's rapid aging, their hair hasn't turned gray Mm -hmm. and three, how Olufsen is still Mm -hmm. young, despite obviously being on the boat with them. So Scully asks Mulder what he knows about free radicals. And he says, very irritated. (laughs) He's like, is this a quiz? (laughs) He's like, which I'm sure is not the first time he said that to she's her. She's like, no, I'm just asking you a question. Goddamn. No, she's like, yes, it she's is. She's like, it is, and you failed, so you don't. Never mind. <laughs> this whole episode is us just saying something so graphic <laughs> and just being like, I'm sorry. You and I are synced up, and so we both get feral at the same time. Fuck. <laughs> it's just going to get worse when we're in the same place, space. We're going to become gonna even be more sick. week every month where we just like crawl around and all fours. Can I, can I, (laughs) I think we should just lean into it. Like, I think we should like actively like watch things that just make us like turn into like, like, like dogs and just like really like fuel it, you know, like just embrace it. Like, I think that that like, because why, you're right. Why try to fight it? You know, like if we're going to be like, let's, let's make it a party. Let's party. Yeah, like we can get like all of like the dick shape shit that they get for like bachelorette parties like, when we're ovulating and just which is like on mind. a monthly basis. That's yeah. Be, like get out the dick cups and we'll be like, yeah, <laughs> that would be so fun. Can we though? Oh my gosh, yeah. There's a museum of sex, and so they have all of like in New everything. York. Yeah. Oh, cool. We should go. It's they only really had cool. the museum of ice cream in LA. <laughs> So Scully says that free radicals are highly reactive chemicals containing extra electrons. They serve as the prevailing theory on how our bodies age and how our bodies grow old or what causes our bodies to grow old. Mm -hmm. She essentially says that theoretically they could be drifting towards a massive metallic source like a meteor that's deep in the ocean or in an iceberg. Where that and what? Where where, <laughs> where a meteor and free radicals are acting as positive and negative terminals with the ocean itself being a giant battery. And so that level of electromagnetic energy could be exciting the free radicals and effectively oxidizing every piece of matter in its field, including them. What I think is cool here is like that's like a really cool concept. And it's so nice that Scully gets to be entirely correct. Yep. Like... Even though, like, because this script is by Howard Gordon, and those scripts always seem to favor Mulder as a character more, in, like, the same way that, like, Len Morgan and James Wong always, like, kind of go towards Scully. Uh, it's nice that even though, like, he f- tends to favor Mulder as a character, like, he he's still willing to allow Scully to be correct. Like, totally. which is cool. Like, there's nothing that proves her wrong immediately. Because I was waiting for it. I was waiting for something to happen after that, like, immediately proved that wrong, and then it didn't. He wrote Miracle Man, Fallen Angel... Um, Conduit, Ghost in the Machine, Jersey oh, Devil, wow. Squeeze. Oh my God! Are you all of those season one episodes? Yeah, he's been on Little Green Men. Wow. Oh, well, I guess he was producers on some of those. Sleepless and Firewalker and Fresh Bones. He was a rising oh. producer. He was a writer on those ones. He was a writer on Conduit, Ghost in the Machine, Miracle Man, Fallen Angel. So the boat starts bleeding rust, like Barkley said in the beginning. And Mulder and Scully go to investigate and they notice that a yellow pipe is the only one that hasn't corroded through. Mm -hmm. So they follow that pipe. Cut to Henry and the criminal 
talking. Criminal tells him that if he lets him go, he'll tell him how to survive. (laughs) Mulder and Scully reach the end of the pipe, and they realize that the water in the sewage system that is untainted is the only thing that keeps them alive. They get back to Henry, Mm -hmm. and they see that Henry has let the criminal go because he told Henry how to survive, that the sewage water was untainted. We see Henry drinking from a toilet. Mm -hmm. This man is a horrible actor. He's literally so gross. Like, I thought he was hot in the beginning, and then, like, by this point, I was like, ugh. He's just disgusting on so many levels. Yeah. Um, But in the beginning, like, in the bar scene, just that scene alone, it was. Mulder and Scully are obviously pissed at him. Scully's like, well, fuck it. We can't do anything about it now. So I need blood and urine samples from everyone. (laughs) So she starts documenting what's happening and she writes that the blood test revealed impossibly high concentrations of sodium chloride, which is salt. The contaminated water is crystallizing existing body fluids, causing massive and rapid cellular damage while the untainted water has slowed down the degenerative progression in Scully and Henry, but for some reason not in Mulder. So she makes note of all of that. And then as she's going to test um, Mulder's urine, Henry comes up behind her and he basically uses the fact that Mulder isn't seeming to respond to the untainted water as an excuse to say they shouldn't waste any more water on him and Scully's like, fuck you, I'm not giving up on him. She literally yeah. is like, that's my fucking husband you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and then also, Jillian is such a good actor. Like, let's just talk about how she's the only one who does this well. Because her being like, well, first of all, when he comes up behind her, she's like, if you've got something to say, say it. Don't hover behind me like that. And that's so like what old, irritated Scully would say, first of all. Totally. Second of all, her more mature, older voice that she puts on for this is kind of accurate to how her voice sounds now when she's like really tired, which is wild. Oh my God. And she's the the only one who changed her voice. I love her. Yeah, that's very true. I feel like the guy who plays Henry just didn't change at all. No, he didn't do anything. And all Mulder did was shake his head back and forth. David, David started like shaking his head. (laughs) To a certain extent, it kind of is a testament to how well done the makeup was because you know, not so much Henry, but at least with David, it was like his voice was still the same, but like the makeup made it okay. Like the makeup made it believable. Yes. But wow, they both really, the men really um, gave us nothing. Um, yeah, Scully basically is like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Um, you're an idiot. And if you think that I would save you before him. So she goes to sit by Mulder and after a little nap... She, re- she wakes up, she realizes Henry is gone, and she finds him, she finds him black, backsplashing all of the water um, and keeping it for himself in the sewage room mm-hmm. or the sewage hold. Scully's like, babes, I will not hesitate to shoot you in order, pr- in order to protect me and my man. So- I love when she cocks the gun. I'm like, yes. Me too. So short of that, Scully says that the Navy knows where they are that the few gallons that are left will sustain them for a couple more days. However, Henry manages to back her up enough to get her out of the sewage hold, and he closes the door and locks himself in. Mm-hmm. 
then Scully just goes absolutely apeshit and in the kitchen and the lockers to see if she can find anything that will substitute the untainted water. This reminds me of like little Scully doing science projects in the kitchen with like random things in the fridge and Maddie, fuck me, and Maggie coming in and being like, Dana, what are you doing? And then her dad coming in and defending her. <laughs> she's like, she's a science, she's just got a, a, a science brain like her old man. Maggie, yeah. Never been good at science. And he's like, shut up. He doesn't say shut up. <laughs> he says shut up. And Maggie's like, have you been drinking again? And he's like, <laughs> what a pure little little moment. <laughs> so bad. So bad. And then Maggie's like, have you been drinking again? And he's like, I don't like you telling me what to do. And then she's like, stop nagging me, woman. Like, Dana, go to your room. And Scully cries. And Melissa comes and gets her. Oh, my God. Ugh. And so she's thinking oh, about all this so as funny. she's pouring tuna juice into a slow snow globe. She tells Mulder what happened with Henry, and she presents him with what she found, which is sardine juice, half a dozen lemons, which she would have had to hand squeeze, by the way, mm-hmm. romantic, and the water from a snow globe. And Mulder says, <sniffs> Mulder, of course, tells her to drink it because it's logical, not because he's in love with her. He says that because her life expectancy is longer as a woman than his and her body retains more water in the fatty tissues, which she says is why he should drink it because because of that. Scully is so genuinely selfless. I love her so much. And I love that Mulder for once is not like, it's all about me. Like, which like makes you think like when it really comes down to it, he is, he is selfless. He is able to be, which it shouldn't take, but you know. So he says, no, babe, you'll survive until help comes if you drink it. Then Mulder says, don't be stubborn, Scully. You know I'm right. And he's like, I'm not going to make it. So instead of professing my love for her, I'm going to tell her how stubborn she is. And she'll know that means I want to marry her, which is the truth. Mm -hmm. I really liked him being like, don't be so stubborn, Scully. Because it feels very like, I like a stubborn Scully. So while they're busy arguing who's going to be Romeo and who's going to be Juliet, <laughs> the ship corrodes through That's a good one. and starts taking on water. And through the rumble, this lovely drink uh, fell off the table and spilled all over the ground. That's bad. Not good. Yeah. And I remember the first time I watched this episode, like this was the first episode I think I genuinely felt completely hopeless for them yeah i wrote that later i was like when i um when i was watching this with my mom for the first time she was literally screaming she was like what are they gonna do like how can they possibly survive this right because like it it is true it is actually impossible yeah like there's there was nothing for them them to do they were in the middle of the ocean they had no way of communicating that they were on this boat that their actual functioning boat had been stolen yep like they were aging by the second. The fact that it ends the way that it does is like feels like like it's satisfying because you want them to be rescued, mm-hmm. obviously, and they weren't gonna die. But at the same time, it's like there should have been something like something hinted at earlier that was planted as so- something that would have come full circle, that would have made sense if, I mean, if they I- 
yeah had gotten rescued i agree i did that thing where something fell off so i went to our trusty source the movie blog for a review to read what they had to say about it (laughs) and they said um in many respects the x-files can be read as an existential horror story about how completely helpless people are in the face of the forces at work in the world the fact that Mulder and scully cannot save themselves helps to underscore how serious that threat is and um However, there's a problem with doing that sort of ending too often. Eventually, it becomes a bit of a cop-out, a, cheap, a cheat that allows the show to wrap up without any significant closure. It's like the script w- reached the page count limit and the staff decided to add, and then they were rescued. The problem isn't the ending itself. The problem is that the ending has been used three times within the last season and a bit, with the last season and a bit, and two times within the last three episodes. Yep. That's it. It exactly feels like that. Yeah. Like they just like ran out of, like they reached their page limit. And they were like, okay. And then they're rescued. It's like, and you can get away. With, it's like, like that review says that like you can get away with that every once in a while, but they use it too often, I think. Anyway, once the, once the uh, boat corrodes through and they start taking on water, there are so many parallels to Titanic. Yeah, I bet. Especially with the way that Trondheim dies, right? Yes, exactly. And like the bursting of the pipes <laughs> and everything. Um, but the moral of the story uh, with Henry uh, as he drowns in the room he's locked himself in is that karma's a bitch. We transition to Mulder, still flirting with Scully and cracking jokes. Uh, he says that he's on the verge of death. Yeah. He says that it's not fair, that they still have work to do, that it's not their time. And she tells him about her experience when she was taken off of life support after her abduction and she says that there, well, the one thing that she knows for sure is that as certain as she is of this life, she says that she's equally as certain that there's nothing to fear when this life is over. It makes me sad that this is the only depiction of them growing old together that we get. Yeah. And that's bit. not me saying that I want them to do more X-Files. That's definitely not me no, saying that. But. No, no. <laughs> What's well, just, um, even in Chris Carter's... Um, even in Chris Carter's absence, the story that he did write and the story that he did finish off um, leaves everything to be desired. So Mulder loses consciousness and Scully, Scully documents how the Bible was wrong about the end of the world and that a children's book was actually correct, which like that's not surprising. But I love that she's like, I'm going to write some fucking poetry in these final moments. I was going to say- go. It's all very dramatic and I love, I love what a journaler she is. That's one of my favorite things about her. Yeah. And eventually she um, becomes unconscious, but then the Navy rescues them. We cut to 36 hours later. Mulder and Scully are in a hospital. And although Scully is doing better than Mulder, the original doctor from the beginning is very, very happy to tell Scully that based on her observations that she documented, they knew exactly how to treat Mulder, um, which is so badass. Her, like Scully. her telling that other doctor telling her that and both of them being with, it was just so, I loved that. Loved Huge it. Huge fan. The doc, female doctor telling Scully that her documentation say, is saving Mulder. Love her for that. Mm-hmm. Both of them. Mm-hmm. And then even as Scully's recovering, she's asking to speak to the Navy liaison that, that rescued them to further examine what was on the ship. However, um, the doctor tells her that the ship sank about an hour after they were rescued. 
That was good. And that's the episode. And that's the episode. I have a few things. Let's hear it. Okay. So imagine a world where Chris Carter, Chris Carter, <laughs> Chris Carter, Chris Carter. <laughs> imagine a world where Chris Carter didn't fuck everything up. Do you think I can, that, but continue. Okay, do you think that they would tell their kids about these stories? Like, yeah, your mother saved my life on a ship one time when I was rapidly aging and we were in a wrinkle in time. And she's like, no, it wasn't a wrinkle in time. It was a contaminant in the water. And then they argue while their children eat their waffles. Like, Jesus, this does have to happen every morning. Okay, so have you ever seen uh, the episode where that actually happens? Just not with one of their children? Yes, yes, with the with the girl in the hospital bed yeah. and they're talking. About, yes, yeah, it's very cute. So imagining that happening with one of their children is, I love it. And then also my other one was was that do you think that one day when they're older, like let's say like post revival, they're together, mm-hmm. she's getting out of bed and she's like, oh my god, and he's like, what? And she's like, I just had the weirdest case of deja vu and like her. Because, like, her body is aching in the same way that it ached on that ship when, she, mm. when he first woke her up. And then he's like, wow, you must really be getting older. And then he goes, well, you look much sexier than you did on that ship. And she's like, nah, you aged about the same. And then they laugh. And then he kisses her and pulls her back into bed. Yes, I do think that that happened. That's so precious. Okay, do you want to do Jillian's Corner? <clears throat> Let's do Jillian's Corner. For Jillian's Corner, we've decided to yell at men. Woo! Basically... I sent Stevie a voice memo the other day talking about how it just hit me that this woman is at the height of her career. Her career has been revamped. (laughs) Second world tour. Second world tour, yeah. And yet, when you search her name on Google and go to news, all that comes up, the first handful of articles are all about Alec Baldwin the man who dragged this unsuspecting and undeserving woman into a conversation about his own problems that he refuses to face while refusing to admit that he's wrong. So basically what happened is that if you haven't heard, like Alec Baldwin's wife was faking a Spanish accent when she's literally from Boston. Um, So there's been a lot of controversy around that, understandably. And then after Jillian's acceptance speech of the Golden Globes, there's been articles that have been like, people are confused by being bi-dialectical. And so he quote tweeted and was like, oh, mm, interesting or whatever. And then everybody came for him and was like, don't fucking do that. And he deleted his Twitter and made a long Instagram video about it on whining, um, whining about how horrible people were to him because he said that. Um, so that's what happened. <laughs> and then the other handful of articles is about Jillian's ex-partner and his messy love life that has absolutely nothing to do with her it's just that is also rooted in falsehood so i found myself thinking how is this happening there was about a two-week period after or right before the false report that jillian and her ex-partner had gotten back together where every single article was about her career It was about um, how despite that she was the height of her fame in the 90s, that she seemed to be having the same, like this resurgence, Mm -hmm. Um, which as an actor, those are the articles that should be 
being written about yeah, her. Yeah, they, they were asking questions about like, what advice do you have for young women today, for young women going into this industry and like talking exactly. about like, what is the biggest thing that she learned? Like, tell us about your audition stories and how you came up and all of these things. And you're right, it lasted for maybe two weeks. And now- Like, I know that this gets into like the ethics and, and responsibility of tabloids, which is like obviously something so much bigger than like the conversation that we're going to have now. Right. Well, because it's not journalism is what- Exactly. And I, and like, that was the thing when I, when that article came out, I was like, well, it was nice talking about her career for two weeks. Literally. Obviously within our, like, you know, within the fandom and within people who appreciate her work, that's all that we've been talking about for the most part. But like in the Um, major public eye, it's just, it's her at the height of her career. And then every article is about a man. And the thing that's even more frustrating is like how, in, in, a, in a micro way, journalists and tabloids alike are um, literally, it seems like, fucking working overtime to distract from the success that she's experiencing. Literally. Because not only do we have articles about her fucking accent, we have the Alec Baldwin bullshit, we have her ex-partner hijacking articles about her career and things that actually and matter. And throwing a temper tantrum on the internet. And then we have her ex-partners um, hand and casting her as Thatcher, also hijacking her actual performance as Thatcher. That she did. In the crown. That yeah. she did. For that won her an award. Her performance is winning that her, won her an award. Is winning. She just won a critics award about an hour ago. So, so winning let's her just, many awards. Even when women succeed, they can't succeed. Right. And it goes back to the same thing of like, even when Jillian won her Emmy, she didn't, she still, I mean, th- she still did something wrong. Right. Like yeah. there was still something that then overshadowed the fact that she had won an Emmy. It was I the fact know. that she had forgotten to thank the men who had gotten her there. It, it's frustrating because it's frustrating because I went to school for journalism. It's frustrating because, um, uh, it's frustrating to see a woman's success and a woman's career overshadowed by all of this meaningless bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want to see any of it. I don't want to see it because it feels like women can't just be good. Like they have to be interesting and scandalous, but they can't be too scandalous. Otherwise they're nothing but their promiscuity. And then you get the question of why isn't she like X woman and Y woman and Z woman who are more than their scandals and drama. It's like this endless cycle. Mm-hmm. And so even by, even by participating in the perpetuation of rumors and of articles that spread them mm-hmm. is damaging. So in the same way that writing those articles it yep. is. So let's not encourage it mm-hmm. is what I would like exactly. to say. Exactly. I feel like the theme of this episode is just to be wary of what you're uplifting and what you're putting your energy in. Exactly. Um, Which is like because when the Daily Mail, I'm going to use them specifically, writes a bullshit article about rumors that are completely unsubstantiated and everybody circulates them, even if it's just to say this is bullshit, by circulating it, you are going to encourage them to write more articles of the same content. Because they don't care what the opinion is as long as it's getting circulated. Exactly. That's making them money. And I think too, like in the same way that we saw people rightfully get very frustrated. I mean, Jillian 
as you know herself was very frustrated by these paparazzi photos that just came out it's frustrating to see people perpetuate any version of rumor about her mm-hmm. that overshadows her success yep because it feeds that narrative of like whatever is is taking over what truly matters and in some cases and in others it's just as disrespect it's just as disrespect it's just as disrespectful and just as violating as the non-consensual and invasive and invasive paparazzi photos absolutely and it's just it's exactly what you said where it's like she is having the biggest successes of her career right now and they're only and still the light is shined on the men in her periphery like and it's just gross and so that's why on this podcast we worship the hell out of women and their successes and we encourage you to join us yeah join us it's so much more fun over here we have cookies and dick lollipops (laughs) and then i also got thinking too um today i've been thinking about um how much my view of myself has changed in this pandemic Mm. this panorama because in the panini in this panini because i've been so far removed from this performance i've done my whole life for the male gaze Mm -hmm. um and i've just been so far removed from that in this pandemic because Mm -hmm. i've been in public yeah and it's almost like in jillian's case we're finding ways to shackle her Mm. and her revamped career to the outside of the male gaze binoculars and it's just in a manifesting in a different way because we're in a pandemic and like there's not the actual leering that's happening in public exactly that's so interesting that's a really good point jillian anderson from the male gaze that's the episode that's the episode and it's in in its entirety all of it all the bits and pieces all together i'm gonna go watch that tiktok again (laughs) as you should um so thank you for listening we love you to absolute pieces reminder to follow us on our social media which is at the sex files pod on instagram twitter and tumblr um we also have a link tree now which is very fancy that has all of our little links so if you want to send us a question if you want to check out our various social medias if you want to kick us a buck um all of that information is there and that's all We'll see you next time. See you next time on this exercise.